welcome to creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast in this show we will discuss about best and worst experiences about passive and active apartment investing and i am your host ramakrishna let's begin the show today's our guest chris larsen from next level income welcome chris thanks rama i'm excited to be here this morning yeah thanks for being on the show a little bit about chris chris larsen is the founder and managing partner of next level income chris has been investing in and managing real estate for over 20 years while still a while still a college student he bought his first rental property at age 21 from there chris expanded into development private lending buying distressed debt as well as commercial offices and ultimately syndicating multifamily properties he began syndicating deals in 2016 has raised more than 15 million and has been and been actively involved in over 150 million of real estate acquisitions chris is passionate about helping investors become financially independent with that chris would you like to add anything to your background rama thank you that's a great introduction right So Chris you're author of Next Level Investing book right Yeah we uh, wrote the book a couple years ago Rama Next Level Income I talk about how I believe multifamily and why I believe multifamily is the holy grail of real estate investing and it just came out this year in print and if you listen in today and you like what you hear you want to learn more you can get a free copy at our website nextlevelincome.com just click on the book link Right thank you and what is the one key takeaway from the book Yeah so I think the key takeaway is it's really not about in investing in real estate or you know what the best you know financial investment is I think the key takeaway is that in my mind financial freedom is about the ability to be your best self and really the best investment you can make is in yourself and if ultimately you do reach financial freedom the the thing that I found is you can focus on what you're really passionate about So true I agree with that so how did you get started into real estate and multifamily Chris Yeah as you mentioned in the introduction Rama I started at 21 um I was in college and I had a family friend Clint Provenza he gave me a money magazine and it was right after Roth IRAs came out and I'll never forget the article it had this like upward sloping curve and it was a curve that showed the compound interest effect on an investment so I started a Roth IRA I started learning about investing and I was racing bicycles and for anybody that knows about the world of cycling it doesn't pay a lot of money for professionals and I want to be a professional cyclist but I also didn't want to be poor I started learning about investing started a Roth IRA started trading in the stock market and actually got into day trading and as a college student I was making like $5000 a month day trading but I was stressed out so I was staying like I was up at like 3 a.m. and I was worried about trades and you know there was sometimes I was losing money and as I looked at other investment options real estate came to the forefront for me as an opportunity where I could make great returns but I could also lower the risk and potentially have control over what I had so I bought my first investment property age 21 I was a junior in college I bought my next property about 18 months after that and then bought another property another property another property and I built a portfolio of single family rentals and at that time I didn't have a lot of money so I went out and I got a job as I talk about in my book I I went into the medical device industry because of what I believed at the time to be very favorable demographics and ultimately long story short kind of jumping all of the way to the end that's the same reason I got into the multifamily space was because of the demographics so you know I looked in that space 15 years later after some uh, big events in my life I lost my mother uh, my second son was born and I was just kind of doing this evaluation of where I was in life I ended up transitioning from the single family space ultimately into the multifamily space um and that 
was uh, about seven years ago. Awesome. So, Chris, uh, did you face any challenges and how did you overcome them? No, it's been so easy, Rama. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, that's a great question. You know, I talk a lot about some of the loss I've faced in my life. You know, I lost my father when I was five years old. And I think that had a real uh, kind of sub, almost subconscious effect on me and the way I, I saw life. And turning 41, the same age my father died a little over a year ago, it kind of dawned on me the effect that it had and kind of the drive that I had. But really what, what kind of drove me toward the path of financial independence was when I lost my best friend. I was in between my freshman and sophomore years and he died from a brain hemorrhage. And after that, I spent the next year like pouring my heart and soul into racing my bike, my grades suffered, but I was doing really well at, at the races. And after racing really, really hard for a year, I was, I was flying, I was winning more races than I had before. Um, I was a cat one cyclist, which means you can take out a professional license, but I wasn't happy. And what I realized was that, you know, what I've been striving for didn't really mean as much as I thought it had meant. And that was the first time in my adult life that I really made a big pivot and I quit racing my bike and I went back to kind of like looking for what I was going to do. And that's when I decided I wanted to focus on, on financial independence so I could ultimately have the choice to make the best decisions in my life. If you kind of fast forward, you know, into the past few years, certainly there have been challenges. I mean, I can talk about the individual challenges and, and properties challenges, you know, with family, but also business challenges. You know, I've, I've, uh, I'm not. I'm no longer working with the original partner I started with. Um, learned some good lessons um, from that. Built a great portfolio um, in the Atlanta market with that. But you know, I'm now. I've expanded the opportunities in the other markets we're looking at. So certainly there have been you know many challenges along the way, Rama. But ultimately, what I found is all of those challenges have been terrific learning opportunities, and I've come out the other side more knowledgeable, more wise, and ultimately better. Awesome. So any of your skills acquired through your passion like cycling or in other bike riding. So any of your skills translated into multifamily? Yeah, wow. I don't know if anybody's really asked that question to me before. I know I've kind of talked about it, but I think the the big thing, you know, after 15 years in the medical device space, you know, as a professional hiring, managing teams, I, I always liked athletes. And if you look at what you learn as an athlete, not necessarily specifically, but certainly applies, you learn the fact that you have to have a plan if you want to be successful. You have to be disciplined. You have to follow that plan. You have to sacrifice, but you also have delayed gratification. So as we talk here, I look to my right and I have my training calendar for an event I'm training for about five, six weeks out. And I've had some really hard weeks of training, but that doesn't make me better right now. I have to rest. I have to recover. I have to go through those periods to really get to the to the point where I'm going to benefit from that. So I think from cycling, making a plan, being disciplined and having that delayed gratification are all things that apply to investing as a whole and ultimately the success you achieve through it. Awesome. So what is infinite banking? Can you elaborate more on that, Chris? Yeah. Yeah. Something that that my wife and I have used in our own personal lives. It's something that I've learned a tremendous amount about over the last decade. And I actually rewrote my book, Rama. So uh, if you get my book, chapter three, I added, and what I like to call my opportunity fund. So this is in an opportunity zone, which have, has been in the news and you know in front of some investors over the past couple of years, but an opportunity fund is what I like to call the fund that I use 
to take capital to put into deals. And my wife and I, we chose to use what's called the infinite banking concept, um, which is basically a concept developed by Nelson Nash. Um, I reference he, him and his book in, in my book. But what, what we've done is we've developed a concept called the investment optimizer. And what my wife and I have done, we set up infinite banking policies. And what these are, they're special whole life insurance contracts that are designed to maximize the cash value. So you can kind of think of it like a supercharged savings account, if you will, Rama. And what it does, it gives you the ability to put cash, put capital into these life insurance policies, and then let that cash continue to grow, continue to provide a death benefit. But you can also take that cash out and use it in another place to invest. So you can actually let the cash or almost have it invested in two places at one time. So what we've done is we started infinite banking policies, um, one to protect our family, you know, in, in the event of something tragic happens to either one of us, but also two, to build a cash value that's it almost acts as our family bank. And then what I've done over the years is when deals have come up, I've taken money out, so say $100,000 out of the policy, I've put it into investment, a property that's grown at you know typically uh, double digit rates. And then when that investment pays off either in you know regular dividends or ultimately upon the sale or a refinance, I take that money, I almost recycle it back into the policy and I do it all over again. And that's allowed us to grow the cash value in our policy, but also take advantage of these other deals. And if you're listening, you want to learn a little bit more about the specifics of, of how we do it or or what we recommend, you can download a white paper called the Investment Optimizer Approach, and that's under the banking link at nextlevelincome.com. Awesome, awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Chris. So like, how do you find the right markets for multifamily side? Yeah, so I alluded to this earlier, you know, talking about demographics and why I went into the medical device industry. And same reason I moved to Asheville, North Carolina. A lot of people think, oh, you moved to Asheville because it's a nice place to live. And that's true. But I actually had a spreadsheet, Rama, of all these places around the country that I had stack ranked that my wife and I had investigated and looked at. And I, I started doing this process personally, and it's the same process we follow that's become a lot more sophisticated for multifamily. So what we do is we like to invest in, you know, to be real simple, large and growing diverse cities. So we like to go into areas of the country that are growing faster than the U.S. as a whole. So if you look at countries or if you look at cities around the country, these are cities like Atlanta, Georgia, like Raleigh, North Carolina, like Houston, Dallas, Texas, like Phoenix, Arizona. These are cities that a lot of people are like, yeah, those are growing cities. That's not you know earth shattering news. Um, so you want to be in cities like that. You want to make sure they're large enough so that if you're buying a large multifamily property, you have enough deal flow that when you want to sell it, you know there's deal flow so you can sell it on the other side. So typically these cities are a million plus in population, and we don't want cities that are just growing because they have like a new Amazon center that that's being built there. You want to see Amazon there and you want to see, for instance, healthcare industry, oil and gas industry, like energy, like Houston, it's got a lot more diverse from energy into the medical space. You also have universities in those markets down there as well. Government, military, all these things can be positives as long as it's not too top heavy. So large growing cities, diverse uh, demographic, and then you also want good job and wage growth, which this all flows 
from those same things. So once we have a large, what we call metropolitan statistical area or MSA identified, um, one of these big cities, then we'll drill down into the neighborhood. So I always tell investors, we like to choose the market first before we look at a deal. So if you're an investor and you're looking at a deal, make sure you like the market because there's really three areas of risk in my opinion. There's market risk, there's deal risk, and there's operator risk. So you want to make sure you vetted all three of those before you invest in a deal. Don't just look at the deal first. Right. So what are the metrics you will collect before investing in a deal? Gotcha. Yeah. So, you know, all of the areas that I just mentioned, they're not only qualitative, but they're also quantitative. So we'll look at specifically, you know, how fast population is growing, um, how fast wage growth is growing. One of the big things we like to look at is wages or uh, median income within one, three, and five mile radius of the property. So if the average income in the country is $45,000, you know, and we find a property in an area where the average or median income is $90,000, that means that we're going to have potentially more upside for rent growth. So what I mean by that, your typical household is going to spend 25 to 30%, 35% on housing. So if you're making forty thousand dollars a year versus eighty thousand dollars a year, you're going to be able to spend twice as much if you're making twice as much. So a forty thousand dollar a year household may be able to allocate ten to twelve thousand dollars for housing. A household that's making eighty thousand would have say twenty to twenty four thousand um, dollars. We also look at affordability. We look at the gaps between rent and buying. So what I mean is you want places that are affordable, but also you want to make sure that there is favorable metrics with respect to you know, people want to rent versus buy. If it's cheaper to buy a house than rent in an area, that means you're competing with those that are buying as well. Again, going back, we want to look at how many new jobs are being added on a regular basis, how fast the population's growing on a regular basis. And then once we look at all that through a market lens, um, as well as about 20 other metrics, we're looking at properties. So we're looking at cap rates, we're looking at break-even occupancy, and we're also going to evaluate the property for investor returns if you add in financing. So we're typically looking to acquire financing from Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, which we call agency debt at typically around 70 or 75, maybe 80% loan to value, but typically lower on that scale. And then we want to make sure that that property, one, it's going to cash flow, positive cash flow from day one with that that, um, reasonable loan to value debt put on there. And then the last thing is we want to make sure we have adequate reserves. So in case there's a shock to the economy, like we've seen this year with the COVID crisis, that we're going to be able to weather that storm. And then, like I said, there's dozens of other metrics that we go through as we analyze and then ultimately uh, run a deal. And you'd probably love to see the spreadsheet. It would cover half half the wall on my uh, office here when we look at these deals. Yeah. So how do you find the right people in your team? Yeah. So team, as we talked about, but earlier, you know, people are everything. So you talk about like hiring athletes, the operating partners that I work with are people that I've known for long periods of time, in some cases, almost two decades. And, you know, it's really important as I talk about in my book, I talk about multifamily or real estate investment investing being a team sport. And it's okay if you're not good at everything. You know, I just finished reading a book by Dean Graziosi and it's called Millionaire Success Habits. And in that book, Dean talks about how the school system and society kind of says, hey, you gotta, you gotta get better at what you're not good at. And that's good. Like you, you have to be capable at, at a minimum level 
of math, for instance, to understand certain things. But you don't have to be the best at something you're not good at or that you don't enjoy doing. You have to find the right person. And that's what Dean talks about. Um, I'm also a, a part of what's called Strategic Coach, which is a coaching program run by Dan Sullivan. And he says, don't figure out how to do something, find the who that can do that for you. So I've built a team of people that are good at those things that either I don't have as much experience at or that enjoy the things that I don't enjoy. So for instance, my operating partner that deals with our renovations, he deals with when looking at uh, estimating the properties, going through due diligence. Um, his name's Brandon. Brandon has not only an experience, he owned a construction company, but he also has an experience as a commercial insurance adjuster. So he can go in and he can not only understand how to talk to and run a construction crew, but he also understands at a very detailed level, a very high level, how to estimate the cost of things that are that need to be done in a property. So that's just uh, one example of somebody who uh, fits a very specialized and very important role in the team. So right. So basically leveraging other people's skills, right? Absolutely. Skills, experience. And also, like I said, it's it's really important to be self-reflective and what, you know, what you're good at, but also what you enjoy that gives you energy because that's ultimately what's going to allow that to be a successful and also sustainable endeavor. Right. So can you tell me about your best apartment investing experience so far? Yeah. So, you know, I talked about earlier, Rama, how, you know, sometimes the worst mistakes uh, lead to the best learning experiences. So I could kind of jokingly tell you how the worst deal was actually the best experience long term. And what we learned from that was, you know, kind of what can go wrong. And so that deal was in Houston, Texas. It was purchased in uh, 2013, 2014, maybe to be precise. And we had a management turnover. We had uh, some issues with the property that we were dealing with. And then the hurricane blew through a couple of years after that. And it really, it really put a setback. So we were dealing with management issues, personnel issues, some financial issues on the property. And then we had a hurricane that came through and displaced um, about 20 residents at the time. So that was an example of a deal that didn't go as well as we planned. However, we still made money on that deal. And I tell investors about that deal because I think it highlights the, the stability of the multifamily space. So you know, if you do everything right, it still shows that there is risk in what we do. However, you know, after having all those things go wrong to still make money on a deal after, over the course of the hold period, you know, that's an example of a bad deal in my experience in the multifamily space. Um, if you look at the experience of investors in the stock market, for instance, you know, it's it can be infinitely worse if you look at uh, the losses that can accrue. If you look at the other side, I have a deal that we invested in in this exact same year very, very close to that same time period in a much different market. And the returns we got on that were were five or six times higher. No issues, you know, from you know the respect of the returns. But in that property, we had a building that burned down. So I think it's interesting that, you know, two investments, same time, very similar hold period, had vastly different returns. And I would have I would have never guessed that when I went in. But both were were very positive experiences from my opinion um, in terms of learning. And then if you blend those two together, they still ended up being still ended up being uh, great investments over the long term. Cool. So, what is your current focus? And share something you're excited about now, Chris. Yeah. So, as I talk about in my book, you know, it, investing it's it's about something more than just making money. It's about being your best self. And something that I've always been passionate about with cycling is is personal health and just being the best person that you can be. I just finished a great book, and it, it talks about. I'm trying to pull up the uh, 
um, the name of it here, but it talks about how aging is potentially a disease, not something that's inevitable. So something I've currently focused on is just how to maximize and optimize my personal performance so that I can continue to live my best life. And I've really changed my opinion of you know, hey, it'd be great to live to 100 to, hey, you know, what if I can live to 150, maybe even 200 years old? As we see these technologies continue to unfold and shift and change, you know, I think in our lifetimes, Rama, we're going to see some really, really amazing things that, that come to light. Awesome. So one advice that impacted you, Chris? I'll go back and, you know, to that, that, that money market article that Clint gave to me and, I think it can't be overstated enough. You know, people, you know, I, I could look and say, hey, I'm, I'm self-made. You know, I, I did this, I did this, I did this. But the, the truth is you always need people in your life that can help you, Rama. So if you're listening and you say, hey, I want to get here. I want to get to where Rama is. I want to do something similar to what we did in the multifamily space. Find somebody that did it and try to emulate them. So for me, what really kind of sparked, you know, the interest in investing was that one simple article that my friend gave me. And and it showed me the power of compound interest. And, you know, I just, I'm sure he didn't realize what that would have led to over the course of it. So the other side is, you know, after you have achieved some success or if somebody comes to ask you for help, you know, give back because you never know what may inspire somebody to live their best life and, and really help them, you know, get to the next level of their potential. Awesome. So any of your personal habits that help you to be successful? Yes. Yeah, so probably the biggest habit that I've developed over the past three or four years has been the habit of daily meditation. And, you know, my, actually the doctor I see, he, he recommended it to me. And I was like, I was like, that's interesting for, you know, you think doctors give you prescriptions, right? And he prescribed meditation, if you will. And it's something that allows me to uh, begin my day to kind of slow down before I decide which direction I'm going to go at full speed and really kind of achieve a nice baseline. Also, I think it improves, you know, it improves self awareness, patience. Um, I'm a father of, of two young boys and um, anybody that's listening that's a parent understands that you need all the patience you can get. I and mean, you also got to be your best self when, when you're raising a family, certainly. So I would say the habit of meditation has been the most powerful over the past uh, few years. Right. So any one book that impacted your life and what way? Yeah, I just, you know, I was just talking about that book. It's actually called Lifespan is the name of the book and it's by David Sinclair. That's why I was looking up the uh, author here. And, you know, there's a bunch of financial books. You can get my book. You can download it. You can, like I said, click on the book link and put your address in and get it. And you can go to the back and, and reference some of the books that made an impact on me financially. I mean, they're all readily available out there. But if you think about your life non-linearly and you realize that you may be able to live, you may be able to achieve more than you thought, you know, versus, you know, five or 10 years ago. What I mean by that is if you say, I'm going to have another 10 years of productivity or 20 years or 30 years or 40 or 50 years of ability to impact people, that has changed my mindset with respect to the way I live. And it's opened up for me the possibility of growing something that can impact more people versus kind of looking down and saying, okay, how can I get to the point where I can retire early at age 40 or 50, or maybe you're listening to say 55 is, is early retirement. That would be terrific. I had somebody talk about, we were talking about retirement yesterday. And I said, yeah, I don't use that word anymore because I don't like it. I don't think it's good for us psychologically. And I think if we, if we kind of move away from that as a society, as individuals, it's better for us. And what I mean by that is we, if we think in terms of financial independence and getting to the point of being able to follow our passions, well, if I could tell you every day, Rama, that you can do whatever you want to do when you get up, 
whatever you love the most. And that happened to be something that somebody else calls work. Well, that's not work to you, right? That's your passion. That's what Simon Sinek says. He said, you know, doing something that you don't enjoy and getting paid for it is called work. Doing something that you enjoy every day is, you know, that is joy. That is passion. You know, that is effortless. And, you know, that's really what has kind of shifted the most in my mind here over the past uh, one or two years. Thanks for sharing, Chris. Awesome. So how are you giving back to community? I mean, we try on our website, uh, nextlevelincome.com. We have two pieces of our mission. One, well, the whole mission is to help uh, individuals achieve financial independence, but we try to do that through education and opportunities. The education piece, go on our website, all the information's free. You know, we don't charge for any of that. I, I'll even send you my book for free if you put your address in there for if you're listening and you want a copy. Uh, but something that I've been working on here over the past couple months, uh, we're working with a local organization. I know you're right down the road in Greensboro, North Carolina, Rama. I'm up here in Asheville. We have a terrific organization called Open Doors, and they help shrink the gap between those that are typically in poverty that are trying to go to college. And you know that gap with this group of individuals, it can be a life-changing experience when they're the first in their families to go to college. And I'm working with that group to implement a financial literacy program so that whether you're five years old or whether you're 25 years old and you're coming out of that program and you're um, out of college and getting a job, you now have the financial tools so you can take the experience, the education, and the ability to earn and translate that into the ability to to build wealth and ultimately impact or have a legacy um, that can ultimately change your family's life as you come out of that program. Um, so it's something, again, that you know we're very passionate about at Next Level Income, but personally, it's something that I'm really excited about uh, growing and having an impact on more people here locally in the community. Awesome. So how can listeners connect with you, Chris? Yeah, super easy. Check out nextlevelincome.com and you can click around on there. The book link will get you a free book. The banking link will get you the investment optimizer uh, white paper if you want to learn more about that. And you can always reach out to me at chris at nextlevelincome.com. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Rama. It's been fun. If you like the show, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. And if you want to connect with me, please send me a message info at ushacapital.com. Thank you for listening. Creating Wealth Through Passive Apartment Investing Podcast. I hope you learned something from the show. See you in the next episode. Thank you. Any information provided from these shows are educational purpose only. As always, please consult with your own CPA, legal and financial advisor before investing.